Well, good morning, Redemption Church, and thank you for joining us once again uh, to worship together using this home worship guide. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, and we're glad that you've joined with us. Uh, we're going to be in Malachi 3 this morning. We've kind of been tracking through that book over the last month, and uh, we're going to jump into that in just a second, but I'm going to pray for us. Would you join us? Would you join me? Our Father, I thank you for this day and this time together to worship you. I pray that you'd be glorified in our worship. Lord, I ask that you speak, that you, that your Holy Spirit would say to each one of us what you once said, that you'd have us to hear what you want us to hear. And, and Lord, I pray that you would use your word to transform us, to make us more and more like you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So after eight plus months of not gathering for regular uh, Sunday worship ga- uh, services, we are currently planning and gearing up to return to indoor worship services starting uh, the first Sunday in December. And for those of you who can't join us uh, in person, even starting in December, or who are at risk and and shouldn't join us for that, uh, don't worry, we're going to be live streaming all of that as well. Look, I know that we all are looking forward to the day when we can get back together. And I believe it will be like a real blessing. It's going to be a sweet time of worship for us. Uh, as we worship God together. But I also have some concerns, to be honest. I have safety concerns for sure, but even more than that, uh, in this season, it's been my desire, and I think it's been the desire of the leadership of the church, that God would use this difficult and tumultuous season to transform us, right? So that we would return different than when we left. Specifically, I think we we have desired that God would use this time to expose some idolatry and some sins that uh, that we're held captive to and that tend to hide uh, hide easier in those times of comfort. And we've been asking and, and hoping that he would lead us to increasingly submit our lives to Jesus Christ. And, you know, we often say around here that we are striving to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures and loving the way he loves, and serving the city for the good of all and inviting everybody into the family of God. And my hope has been over this season is that that statement would become truer of who we are. You know, and honestly, the last few weeks, uh, that has been filled with many conversations and many meetings. Many of you I've come around and uh, Brent and I have come around and met with the different missional communities and we've had one-on-one conversations as well. And some of them honestly have been pretty intense and some of them have been pretty difficult. But while it's been intense and, and even a little bit difficult at times, it's also been really good and encouraging. Like it's been Christian brothers and sisters actually talking and being honest about our feelings and our expectations and our experiences and our failures. And it's been an exercise in what Philippians calls, says is striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. It's been an exercise in bearing one another's burdens. It's been an exercise in actually being shaped uh, as a family that's being formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my concern is that we would return and kind of settle back into our normal routines and get comfortable, that we would return and we would go back instead of returning to worship together and going forward. Today, there's this invitation in the passage, uh, Malachi chapter three, verse seven, and it says this, it says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, 
How shall we return? How shall we return? It's the question on my mind as we return to Sunday morning worship gatherings. And and obviously God's people in Malachi are asking this question uh, in a different time and in a different context and for much different reasons. But I think there is some guidance here for us uh, in this passage this morning for us uh, to as we prepare to rightly return to worship together in person. So let's just go ahead and jump into this passage. Uh, it's Malachi. We're going to start in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. It says this. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, we've mentioned this before, and if you've watched the Bible Project video, which is just above this in the home worship guide, then you've seen it laid out there. Malachi is sort of laid out around a series of disputes between God and his people. And here we see a dispute uh, as God says that they've wearied him with their words and the people respond by saying, how? How have we done that? And so God answers that, that they basically have looked over evil, uh, believing that God delights in, in his people regardless of their sinful ways. And this has been like a common attitude that they've had throughout their history, as we've seen throughout the minor prophets over the last couple of years, right? And, and when they're not overlooking their own sins and their own injustices, they're questioning the God of justice. They're asking, where is the God of justice? And it's this sp- specific question, where is the God of justice, that prompts God's response, which amazingly is filled with good news, even though he is answering their wearisome uh, complaints and their irreverence. Listen to what he says in Malachi 3.1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the Lord in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, to a people who have been waiting on end for God to return, a people who returned from exile, who have rebuilt the city, who have rebuilt the temple at God's direction, and who've been waiting for something like a hundred years for his return, though they are obviously irreverent and faithless in many ways and looking for all the wrong things, in the midst of this dispute, God delivers this good news, which he's delivered time and again. And the good news is this, that he is coming. Right, That God is coming to his temple. His covenant with his people still stands. It's still good. And the king of kings is coming. And I think maybe we could just pause a second. Like, as a people who are bruised and tired from a long and trying season that isn't over yet. Maybe we can just pause and recognize that this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we know that Jesus, the king, has come for us. And he is with us always, even to the end of the age. And he's coming again. That's good news for us, isn't it? He said it before and he says it again. He's coming. But, but his people then, and I think even still, his people are selective hearers. They hear the parts of the good news that they like, but they often ignore what follows. And then they sort of like build all their expectations around this first half of the good news. He continues in Malachi 3, 2 through 7. Listen to what he says. The king is coming, but who can endure the day of his coming 
And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers. For since the, for from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. This is the good news that we don't want to hear. And it's the part that the prophets kept repeating, uh, but, but seems to never land and that the people don't want to hear. People want the king to come, but they don't want it to make them uncomfortable. You know, in James 1, which we recently read, uh, read through together. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet the very trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But it seems that if God comes, right? It seems that if God comes, then that should mean prosperity for his people, right? And prosperity should be defined by his people. But we see a book after book in these minor prophets. The people are desiring God's return and God pushes deeper and declares that he, his answer hasn't changed because he doesn't change. His kingdom is coming, but that his kingdom breaks into the world through his people. And that means refining fire. And it means cleansing. It means dealing with the sin that is among us and in us by making the reality of who God is known to us so that we would be transformed. And so the question isn't, is your promise even still good? Or where is the God of justice? He doesn't change. The question is, are we ready for him to come? Are we ready to endure the flame of it? Because we must change. Which moves us to the invitation and the question in Malachi 3.7. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? Let's just pay close attention to this answer as it sort of unfolds in another dispute in Malachi 3.8-12. through 12. How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts.
You know, there's a handful of verses that sort of get plucked out of Malachi often for more topical applications. Reggie mentioned a couple of them last week. Uh, One is dealing with the call to be uh, faithful in preaching God's word, and the other was uh, in dealing with divorce. And then this week we run into this verse that's about tithing, and and it often gets plucked out for a more topical tithing and offering sort of uh, application. But in the context of this whole dispute, right, in the context of this whole message, we would be mistaken to believe that God is just simply making a call for us to give him our stuff. It's actually much bigger than that. And I think it speaks to us as we, uh, as to how we should return. You know, since creation has been clear that God created everything and that everything is his. God blessed us with everything that we have in order to steward it towards blessing his creation and ultimately glorifying God in all of creation. And the act of uh, giving the first 10% or the tithe uh, to God before any other spending took place was always an act that served to remind a forgetful people whose they were, whose hands they were in, and that God could be trusted. And throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people to give their first fruits to him as an act of trust and obedience and worship. And one of my favorite examples of this is when God called his people to give an offering while they were still wandering in the wilderness after they had escaped from Egypt. The offering was to go towards the construction of the tabernacle, which was going to require some valuable materials. And his people who were, who were slaves before they fled, right? His people who were slaves and had nothing, uh, who fled overnight from Egypt, they obeyed his call for them to give these valuable valuable materials. And they brought all kinds of jewels and they brought valuable cloths and other, and other nice things. And the question has always been for me, or when I read, when you read it, is where did a bunch of wandering slaves come up with these goods? Where do they come up with all the jewelry and fine cloth and all that? Well, before they fled Egypt, God told them to ask the Egyptian people for their valuables. And fearing the God of Israel, the Egyptians granted the request, and they gave them their jewelry and their clothes and all sorts of things. And this just illustrates to me how God provides everything that he asks us to give, right? He certainly has no need of anything that we could give him, right? The tithe is is less about funding the tabernacle and the temple or the church and more about revealing the hearts of the givers, because there's a rub like to giving away the first fruit of your income or the best parts of your time and energy or whatever else. And the rub is that when you give away, uh, when you give that away, you have to live your life without those very best things, right? And that stings a little bit. It's a little bit uncomfortable. See, when Malachi 3 says that his people are robbing God, It's not about the money. It's not about the food. It's not about any of those things. It's about the truth of their worship. It's about who or what has their heart. It's about who or what gets their best, about who or what they put their trust in. Who do you worship? Who does does your heart worship? Who do you belong to? Who gets your best? Who do you trust? God wants the whole of his people. God wants all of us, and he wants all of you. 
And what you give in the 10% or, or even which 10% you give reveals what or who has 100% of your heart. And what you give in the 10% or which 10% you give reveals what or who has 100% of your heart. Do you hear what I'm getting at? Do you see how this passage pushes in on us as we prepare to return for our regular worship gatherings in some form or fashion? Let's, let's read Malachi 3, 10 through 12. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, and that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This morning, I want you to hear the whole gospel, even the parts that the flesh kind of conflicts with, and I want you to test him in it. This is not a sermon about tithing, but I'm going to tell you a tithing story. A while back, Claire and I weren't tithing, right? It, it was a hard year. We had almost nothing, and there was real no insight, end in sight to a, a difficult situation. I remember washing dishes in the kitchen, and uh, I wasn't thinking about money. I wasn't thinking about tithing. I was just praying, and I was sort of seeking the Lord. And in my heart, I just felt the stirring of the Spirit whispering, like, test me. Just just put me to the test. Just see if I'm not worth it. Would you put me to the test? I, I heard that, and I, I turned off the water, and I went in the other room, and I told Claire, and we just prayerfully made the decision to be obedient and to give to the Lord and to put him to the test. Though it made no real sense to us, we decided to do it. And I'm not rich because I tithed, Right? But there's very little that I have ever found as satisfying as testing him in that and finding him worth the price. Like he's provided us in ways more than just financially. And his blessing has been deeper and more enduring in ways that I'm not sure that I can really articulate here. And I tell you that because I want you to test the Lord together in this coming season. I want us to test the Lord together in this coming season. I want you to see that God is making himself known to the nations and that you were made for being part of that mission. I want you to see that your life is about making Jesus known and who you are and in how you act and in what you do with your time and your energy and your resources and your emotions and, and, and so on. And I want you to see that none of those resources can ever provide satisfaction for you like spending them on what they were given to you for, which is making Jesus known, glorifying God. And I want you to see that the good news isn't just about a forgiveness that you just receive and then you're supposed to tell others about it. But the good news is that while you were not able to fulfill your purpose, which is to make Jesus known and to glorify God, and while you can't do it because you were captive to sin and filled up with selfish desires and ideas, the good news is that Jesus hasn't just forgiven us, but he's actually made it possible for us to be who he made us to be and do the work that he created us to do. And I want you to let the kingdom of God break into you and through you to others, 
even though it hurts, even though it's uncomfortable, and I want you to count it all joy. I believe that we can reach people as a church and we can invite them into the family of God. But listen, the blessings that will follow will match the worship we sow in the mission, right? It'll either be rich and enduring or superficial and fading. So how do we return? Let's not go back to normal. Let's do something different, right? Let, let this churchy portion of your life be a reflection of the 100%. And may 100% of you be sold out to being a people who trust God with everything. Who trust about all those blessings he listed in Malachi 3 that would come if we put them to the test. Would we trust him with 100% of ourselves? Certainly, give your tithes, give your offerings, but let's pursue him harder together with all of our lives. Let's not come seeking most what, what can be done for us, but what, he can, what we can bring to the table. Let's not think only of ourselves and our church and our circumstances. Let's trust God enough to spend ourselves to provide for the mission of making God known among us and in us and through us. Let's test him and let's fill the storehouses. Let's trust God even enough to, to be a family, not only in the times of prosperity and celebration, but in the times of tension and discomfort. And let's do this because we believe that his kingdom is meant to break into these streets through us. And maybe not just through our organizational like programs and tracks and sales pitches, but maybe the kingdom of God that is already and is not yet. Maybe the kingdom of God breaks in at our expense. And though it might cause this flesh some discomfort, it is here that he pours himself into us and gives us the deeper desires of our heart. It is here that he refines us and restores us and makes us holy. Let's pray together. Our Father, may you be glorified in all the earth. May every man, woman, and child know who you are and hear the gospel and respond. And God, I pray for us, your family at Redemption Church, that you would transform us as you have been, but would you continue? Would you make us a family? Would you make us a family in Christ? who are truly striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel and who are bearing one another's burdens and who are bringing their all to the table and who are bringing their tithes and their first fruits and their, their, really their 100% of who they are into the family of God to Jesus Christ for the purpose of making you known. And may we see that we will never, ever regret giving you our all. Because you do great things and your promises are true and you have come and you are with us and you are coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.